RadioInfluence.com. It would be kind of fitting for this pay-per-view if Larissa Pacheco wins. So I'm going to say Larissa Pacheco upsets Kayla Harris. I'm going to say that happens. The reason being is not any kind of like analysis. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only reading the tea leaves of what the universe is telling me. Yeah. And the universe is telling me the cash cow of the PFL is going to somehow get upset by Larissa Pacheco. So that's my bold prediction. I think Pacheco pulls off the upset. Acknowledge me. <laughs> you love to hear it, man. I, I don't know what to tell you, Jason. I think the years and years of me watching this sport, spending money, watching pay-per-views, it hasn't really made me a better analyst. I can't break down the strikes. I can't break down the grappling. You're going to have to go to Dan Hardy's YouTube channel for that. But I can listen to the MMA gods. And there was no logical reason why I picked Larissa to win other than the MMA gods are whispering in my ear. They're letting me know that uh, – that Larissa Pacheco was going to get her hand raised and, well, pull off one of the biggest upsets in the sport's history. I got to give you my roses. You know, uh, my guy DJ Aiken would like to say, let's get people with their roses while they're with us. Usually when they're not with you anymore is when people give their roses. And uh, I got I to love our listeners who just immediately started cracking it on Twitter. Like, oh, Daniel's going to roll into this podcast and just scream and acknowledge me. Yeah, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean – I, I feel like I, I made another big upset pick earlier. That, who did I pick earlier this year? Do you remember? There's been a ton of upsets this year, but no, nothing that's like true. this. No. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Look, I, all I got to say is I'm probably the best uh, MA predictor of all time. Just don't check all my other picks, please. Don't check. Don't check all my other picks. You know, don't don't check my uh, my Julia Bud pick over Aspen Lad. Don't don't check that. Just just know that I picked the Pacheco fight right, and uh, if you join my Discord, uh, I will take over your account for five thousand dollars, <laughs> and I'll make some picks, man. Oh God! Oh man! <laughs> that story's been kind of quiet. That story has yeah. been pretty quiet over the last week. That has been quiet. These stories tend to be quiet, bro. Like, like, like I've mentioned several times already, that PFL story just went away. We had no further development on that PFL Challenger series having already happened, but the betting lines were still available. I mean, I'm sure maybe the James Krause story will get another development. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that one went quiet. But I, I will say what wasn't quiet, I must say was... A lot of people were talking about this PFL show online on the MA websites. And I don't think the pay-per-view number did great because it wasn't a, pay- a really great card that was worth the $50. But it did feel like there was a lot of discussion. And I will say that I didn't feel good about the fact that I spent $50 on this. It, you know, that being said, I really enjoyed the pay-per-view. And the Pacheco-Harrison fight is one of those things I'm going to remember for years and years. I mean, everyone assumed Kayla Harrison was going to win. 
so much so that I think maybe that played into the fact that, you know, you had Randy Couture and Kenny Florian giving her the decision on the official PFL judging criteria. But it was it was quite a moment. And, and you know, PFL may not have done very well business, but they certainly had a moment and, and people were talking. And, you know, I guess you got to book Larissa and Kayla one more time. You should. I mean that should be the next fight. We're gonna we're gonna get into that uh, as we go forth. Of course, uh, uh, right before recording this show, I was listening to the Kayla Harrison interview on Ariel, and you know, look, we're in a sport where we generally, when we see this type of loss, we don't hear for that fire for a long time. I mean, it's it's a rarity. I mean, I mean, you think about, I mean, Izzy did it earlier this month, but prior to that, the last one I can really remember doing it was Dom Cruz, you know, back years ago when, when he lost the Bantamweight title. And, and so I give Kayla Harrison a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, it was it was tough listening to her talk uh, at that press conference. I mean, obviously very emotional fighter there. Uh, but, you know, as you talk about as now some time has passed here with this matchup, uh, Alex Davis, of course, the, the manager, Oh, Larissa Pacheco was also a licensed cornerman uh, for her. Uh, did call out Ali Abdelaziz, who the video shows where he gets up from his ringside seat, goes to the neutral corner, and is shouting advice to Kayla Harrison. And I'll give uh, Erhawani a lot of credit here because he brought it up to Kayla. And Kayla's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, I guess you haven't been on social media, which is understandable. And, uh, you know, basically is uh, Ali looked like he just owned the place. Like he was the owner of the Hulu Theater. Uh, New York State Athletic Commission really didn't do much. Apparently, he told the uh, ref to shove it when uh, the inspector cage side tried to get him back to his seat there. Uh, so that was a little bit of a, an interesting video there uh, in terms of that. Uh, but uh, Don Davis, boy, he is uh, once again using his uh, fingers to get people talking. So he had this tweet yesterday where essentially the same tweet that he had before calling for Kayla and Chris Cyborg. And so I see this come across my, my Twitter timeline and I, I quote tweeted and I say, well, here's the real question. Has there been a written contract or offer made to Chris Cyborg and or her management? Daniel within like 30 seconds. Chris Cyborg response. One word answer. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't think deals are made on Twitter. And I I, I just, it, it's crazy to me. And it's, it's also kind of weird to me that the focus kind of out of him is not on Larissa Pacheco, not on doing the fourth fight because that's what has to be next, right? Kayla mm-hmm. Harrison and Chris Cyborg can fight at a later date down the line. But for Kayla Harrison, it's, I think it's got to be very important for her brand to come back out and beat Larissa. Excuse me. Beat Larissa. Because there are some serious questions about her being the best fighter on the planet, given the fact she just lost Larissa Pacheco. That fight was very close. It really came down to the fifth round. Um, if elbows were legal, I think Keela Harrison probably wins that fight. They weren't legal. I think the two biggest things Kayla probably needs to work on is cardio. And whenever she's in a, a top position to maintain 
control and doing some and doing enough damage so that her opponent isn't offensively being very active because it felt like when Kayla was trying to take control of this fight, Larissa was matching her from an offensive output standpoint and not thinking defensively. And she was able to dictate this fight even when Kayla went in, in it, with the with the judo and the grappling. Larissa was able to dictate this fight off the defensive grappling and just unloaded on offense. And also the scrambles. I mean, Pacheco was able to start winning the scrambles in different rounds. So Kayla has a lot to work on. And I think the casual MMA fan isn't thinking after PFL 10, hey, we got to watch Kayla Cyborg. Hey, we got to watch Kayla Amanda Nunez. I think what the PFL fan wants to see is that Kayla Harrison uses this loss as fuel to become an even better version of herself. And I think that's a real realistic possibility when you look at the classy way in which she handled this loss and, and the accountability. It was very embarrassing for her, and she admitted it. So the Kayla Harrison story, the next chapter should be about how does she go back to the drawing board and make herself an even better fighter because the Pacheco fight showcased certain holes, and it's laughable that Chris Saborg is, quote-unquote, running away from Kayla Harrison. What's happening here is on social media, Don Davis is trying to manipulate Cyborg to take a deal she doesn't want to take. Okay. So Don Davis's tweet, which was offer stands, Kayla versus Cyborg, $1 million each fire plus $2 million winner. Additional tip, winner, choice, Rolls Royce. Biggest cash purse in history for a female fight. No more hiding. Decide the best in the cage. PFL MMA pay-per-view super fight. And, um, I mean, like, look, Don Davis, um, there's a ton of things I got to say about him. First off, you have to know that Chris Cyborg and her team are very active on Twitter. They're not someone that's not going to respond. She immediately responds, 80-20. And then she later responds of, I'm a Tesla girl. I'm not a Rolls Royce. I was like, yeah. okay. All right. Touche. Great, great response there. Um, and Kayla, or excuse me, Cyborg also said this on social media says, if they weren't in the PFL cage, them doing their only negotiation on Twitter will never get it done. And that's where it comes to this point of like, look, we live in a MMA media world where sometimes I look at how people report on the sport as an extension of one's PR department. Don Davis has to be called out. If you go on Twitter with that, but you've never picked up the phone, call Chris Cyborg, call Auditar, her manager, and make this offer. What's that? Like, we want to enjoy the PFL. But, like, when you do crap like this and you just go on Twitter and make a fight as opposed to pick up the phone and calling the fighter and the fighter's management, it's hard for me to take you serious. And to further that point, this was Don Davis' quote to ESPN. Quote, I have a counter view to this Twitter universe. My view is simple. Chris was scared of Kayla and unwilling to take the fight prior to the last Friday. I believe there was zero chance of this fight happening due to Cyborg's fear of Kayla. Now, I think the odds of that fight happening have gone way up, and I still believe Kayla wins that fight. Here is my just plain old harsh criticism of that. And you know I don't cuss on this podcast. 
So if you got kids in the car, I'm about to say something you may not want your kids to hear. Who the fuck do you think you are, Don Davis, to call Chris Cyborg scared? One of the greatest fighters in the history of this sport. How are you as a businessman, a quote-unquote MMA promoter, where do you get the balls to say Chris Cyborg is scared? Yeah. I mean, let's take away Chris Cyborg. To say a mixed martial artist is scared. I mean, yeah, sure, some are, right? Conor McGregor is probably really scared of a drug test right now. But most mixed martial arts fighters are not scared. Chris Cyborg, one of the best female fighters of all time, not scared. You know, does Kayla Harrison pose significant problems to Chris Cyborg? Yes. Look at the judo trips, the judo takedowns, and the wrestling to Kayla. But the idea that Chris Cyborg isn't taking this fight because she's scared of the Kayla Harrison fight is wild. That's a fight that she clearly wants. It's just a matter of having it the right negotiation for Cyborg. And it appears that the right negotiation is doing business with Bellator. She really feels comfortable doing business with Scott Coker and working under him in a May standpoint. What Don's approach comes comes across of he just is doing things to show off on Twitter because there isn't that real negotiation on Chris Cyborg. And this is the only fighter that they, as an organization, are talking to like this with. You know, there there's no other fighter where that negotiation is happening on Twitter, essentially trolling a prospective fighter. So it, it's pretty crazy and it's a bit of a distraction. And that's kind of the uh that's kind of the big takeaway I think from PFL lately this year has been, you know, on one hand, they have a really great PFL card, a really great PFL show. You know, aside from the uh Sadabusi Delano Taylor fight, which was truly, truly um, the type of fight that made me think I need to seek a therapist because of how boring it was. Every other fight on that main card was really good, right? Like we have Oliver Aubin Mercier coming out, scoring a big knockout win over Stevie Ray, uh, anti Delasia, you know, representing Croatia. Uh, you know, this generation's Mirko Krokop, apparently. Uh, you have. Rob Wilkinson coming out here just kind of having a barn burner of a fight with Omari Akmedov and drinking a beer by the time Aspen Ladd and Julia Butter going at it. They had a good little fight. Brendan Lodane and Bubba Jenkins was an awesome performance from Brendan Lodane who showed he might be one of the best featherweights in the world. He had this great main card. But for the PFL, one of the big talking points, the biggest talking point of our podcast in the preview was the fact it was a $50 pay-per-view. So – the, the thing is, when it comes to the show, when it comes to negotiating, they kind of get in their own way with various things. I mean, going all the way back to the Verdum comments when they initially signed him and how outlandish <laughs> they were overhyping him as the Tom Brady makes martial arts. It's, it, it's a trend of it's like taking one foot forward and then <laughs> stepping in dog poop with your other foot. I just want to know who came up with the idea to call Fabricio Verdum the Tom Brady of MMA. That, that's all. I, like, like you talk about things I got to know the backstory on. Who pitched that idea? Yeah. 
Yeah. And and if was Ray Seffo not in this meeting? Like when we're talking about the PFL management, okay? Ray Seffo is the fighter. Like was that quote approached to Ray Seffo before we're putting this in a press release? Like that I got to know who pitched that idea. And whoever yeah. pitched that idea should be fired immediately. <laughs> yeah, man. Look, it, it it there's just a lot of people in the PFL that you know, I think highly of and then there's some where it's like, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I, I will say, I, you know, the commentary is pretty, uh, pretty, like, pretty solid. Even though I don't think Randy Couture is the best commentator in the world, I must say it's nice to hear his voice, right? Like, it's just, it's just nice, you know? Eh, I don't know if there's been that many fighters that have aged as gracefully as Randy Couture, right? Like, yeah. you know, he was already old as hell when he started fighting. But, you know, so many of the uh, MMA legends haven't aged so gracefully. But I just want to say it was nice with Randy Couture, who he might actually be the Tom Brady of mixed martial arts, the more I think about it. Um, but, yeah, man, you know, moral of the story is Kayla's got some work to do. Let's see that fourth fight. That, that's a hell of a fight. Hell of a fight. Larissa Pacheco. Look, Larissa Pacheco is 27 years old. This is the beginning of the prime of her career. Um, moving forward, it's an interesting proposition if she can get back down to 135 and what she can do in this sport. You know, when she, I don't know what her deal is with the PFL, but you start to look at what she possesses and she becomes an interesting 135er in the UFC down the line. And, and that's something where I would definitely buy stock on Larissa Pacheco because first and foremost, she's a really good striker. And it's really damn impressive what she did from a scrambling standpoint against Kayla Harrison, dude. Like, holy crap. Let me bring this point up. Yeah. After what we saw on social media yesterday, let's say you're Larissa Pacheco. You're scrolling through your Twitter timeline, and you see that tweet from Don Davis. Like, what goes through your mind? Like, I just pulled off the biggest upset in this promotion's history. I just beat the face of this organization and you're trying to make her a fight with somebody that's not named me. Yeah. Yeah. That that's gotta be upsetting. I mean, the one thing that'll probably make her feel better is she looks and she sees the million dollar check next to her, <laughs> but you are right. I mean, coming out of this PFL show, there was a lot more and maybe it's a language barrier. Maybe it's a language barrier. But there was a lot more headlines talking about Juliana Pena after her win over Amanda Nunez than there was talking about Larissa. I mean, I haven't really heard much from Pacheco ever since the fight happened. It's almost like Kayla Harrison fought Kayla Harrison, and Kayla Harrison was the referee, and Kayla Harrison was the judges because that's all we heard about. And it's the biggest story, but there hasn't really been that much of a progression from the Larissa Pacheco narrative standpoint. And it's worth talking about. Because she just pulled off a great upset, and this wasn't a situation where she locked in a submission coming off of a takedown attempt, although she nearly got one. It was a five-round decision. And moving forward, if these two are matched up again, I will say I'm going to pick Kayla Harrison to win that fight. But it was a good fight. And again, if they do allow elbows in the finals of championship fights next year, they're going to have to call it the Kayla Harrison rule. Because that's what everybody had to have been thinking. The second Kayla secured top position early on in round one, and she's in that full guard, 
but she's only throwing those looping ground and pound punches. It kind of showed how limited you are from that top position to not able to utilize the elbows. There are so many different advantages of that. I think the two biggest advantages is the fact that you can do more damage with the elbows. But secondly, from a body positioning standpoint, when you're kind of upright and you're going for those looping punches, there's more space for your opponent to work with defensively and offensively versus get closing that space, suffocating your opponent and landing elbows. And that to me, theoretically, is a big part of a fighter like Kayla Harrison's game, and she wasn't able to <clears throat> utilize that. You mentioning about PFL, and, and I saw this come across my Instagram uh, feed, and I, I sent it to you, and, and this came from Tyson Chardier, of course, manager and coach of Calvin Cater, Rob Font, runs uh, the, the New England cartel fight team, would be the best way to put it. And uh, he wrote, great season PFL, my two cents on how to keep improving. And he wrote this. He goes, I enjoyed this year's PFL season a lot. For next season, I'd love to see even more if they added the following. One, add more weight classes and divisions. Two, stagger each division season start date so you can have tournaments going year-round. This way, each division will get off in off season, but fans will continue to get content year round. Three, allow elbows at least in the very least in the playoffs. Four, have more showcase fights. And five, have some sort of lottery draft to determine regular season matchup. This has transparency and excitement to the process. And I like what he said there because there is a there are people in this community that do question the matchmaking of the PFL that is it dictated for certain fighters. That, that has been a criticism of the PFL, but I like everything that Tyson said there. And I mean, look, I think the PFL is doing a lot of great things. They're doing a lot of great things. My advice to them is you kick off your 2023 campaign for your, your quote unquote regular season. And it's headlined by Kayla Harrison, Larissa Pacheco. And don't put that thing on, on pay-per-view, Put it on ESPN where you can reach a, a greater audience. I understand why PFL has to go the pay-per-view route. I totally get it. You got to find ways to bring in that revenue to, you know, to justify what you're paying fighters. But put that thing on ESPN, draw a massive rating, sell your advertising to it. But like I brought this up to you to show bef before we started recording here. What's the bigger fight right now? Harrison Pacheco 4? Or Harrison Cyborg. Yeah, you brought it up to me, and it's it speaks a lot to what an upset can do. That that's even a question that we're talking about, right? Think about the name value of Larissa Pacheco and the name value of Chris Cyborg. That's a wide gap. But the narrative in this story of the upset fight getting the rematch is a strong one, and it's a sellable fight. And I'm all in on your idea. I must say though. Chris Cyborg and Kayla Harrison is still the much bigger fight than Larissa and Kayla Harrison. You look at the pay-per-view buys for this show, I would bet my life that – I would literally bet my life. If somebody put a gun to my head and was like, I'm going to pull the trigger if you're wrong, I would bet my life that Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison would do more buys than Chris Cyborg versus Larissa for. So that's why I would still say Cyborg and Harrison. I mean – from the simple point of the pre-fight hype is going to be so much more, right? Like Chris Cyborg and Kayla will both be on the MMA hour doing interviews. Well, Larissa won't. 
this is a problem for the PFL. Chris Cyborg knows she has all leverage. She has all the leverage. And this is where, if you're Chris Cyborg, and look, I totally understand where Chris is coming from and saying, I want to work with somebody that I trust. I don't want to get into business with someone that I don't know if I can trust. I totally understand where she's coming from. But she has all leverage in the world right now. PFL needs this fight. Chris Cyborg needs a fight. So if you're Chris Cyborg, your Audiotar, your your, uh, Paradigm Sports Management, you might be able to fleece a crap ton of money out of the PFL. Yeah. I would say without a doubt, on Sunday, Chris Cyborg got a lot more leverage than uh, than Kayla Harrison. I mean, excuse me. Then then, Cyborg has a lot more leverage on Sunday than she did before that fight card happened on Friday. It's it's a different ballgame. The dynamics have changed. I mean, you mentioned in the preview show how this pay-per-view could mean Kayla loses some leverage. And we hadn't even taken into account the fact that she might just lose that fight, too. Look, Don Davis, instead of using your Twitter fingers, pick up the phone call Scott Coker. Yeah, there's no way that's going to happen because they've had years to do it, and they haven't. They've had years look, to do look, it. look, this is no inside information. Scott Coker knows how to do co-promotion. I feel like he would, if there was a deal to be made, Scott Coker would just fleece PFL get all the revenue. Yeah, maybe that's why there's that trepidation and get in that business, Jason. Maybe maybe Don Davis is scared of Scott Coker. I don't think Scott's a Scott's a likable guy. I don't know what he's like in the business room, but I mean, my perception is Scott Scott's a nice guy. Yeah, I I mean, like, who has anything negative to say about Scott Coker? I mean, you rarely hear that. Rarely. Yeah, there was that one person, and Scott had him killed. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I will say looking at Tyson Chartier's uh, inputs, one, add more weight classes and divisions. Yeah, you can sell me on that. Middleweight, bantamweight. Let's let's get that. Stagger each division season's start date so you can have tournaments going year round. This way, each division will get an offseason, but the fans will get content year round. You know what? I'm going to say no on that one. I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Real, real simple. We don't need more content. That's my answer. We do not Stop. need more content. Don't you know MMA promoters love that word? They love that content word. There's too much content in the world. That's why the movie theater business is going out of business. That's why Disney's got a new CEO. That's why every other person has an attention deficit problem, including myself. Every other person is too kind. Like ninety five percent of people have attention span problems because we have too much content to choose from, and I'm not even talking about like TV shows and sports. I'm talking about social media content. That's content. We don't need more content. We have we have enough content. There's a there's a UFC card every week. There's a Bellator card. You know, <laughs> uh, like I don't know. It's really random when there's a Bellator card. There's no sporadic reason. Next week. Yeah, next week. Yeah, it's like there's like there's like three Bellator cards in five weeks, and then there's like a two month off season that no one was told about. One uh, FC always has a double shot for some god knows god knows reason. There's too much content, Tyson. We don't need more shows. I disagree with that. Uh, number three, allow elbows at the very least in the playoffs. I would say allow elbows in the championship round. 
The not allowing elbows makes a lot of sense in the season due to the cuts that could cause mm-hmm. sus- yeah. medical suspensions. I would say leave it for the championship fight. We can call it the Kayla Harrison rule. Four have more showcase fights. Yeah, we need to have – I agree with that. Let's get some more Aspen Lad super fights. Uh, five, have some sort of lottery or draft to determine the regular season matchups. Yeah, I'm down with that too. I think some random order. So I agree with most of his reasons. Just uh, there's a couple I don't like. More content? Screw that. Hey, Aspen Lad may be the biggest loser from uh, Friday night because now, I mean, she probably would have got Kayla Harrison next <laughs> if, if she would have gone out there uh, and get the win there. Uh, by the way, you know, talking about the, the business side of mixed martial arts, Nate Diaz is officially a free agent. Wow. So I saw I saw the uh, Jake Paul put out that he's going to try and book a fight with Tommy Fury, and if he doesn't get that, he's going to go for Nate. So I think that's probably what will be next for Nate Diaz, Jake Paul and Nate Diaz. But, Jason, what other options do you think are out there for Nate that he could possibly do moving forward? Look, when we talk about MMA – Bellator and the PFL could both use him. 100%. Once again, we talk about Chris Cyborg having leverage. Boy, Nate Diaz has a ton of leverage because Nate Diaz could walk right into that Bellator lightweight tournament if he wanted to compete at 155 pounds. If he if he wants to compete at 155, he can go to PFL. I mean, PFL would probably say, Nate, what weight class do you want? We'll create a division for you. Let me ask and, you but this. the also interesting yeah. part was that his representation said, hey, the door is not closed going back to the UFC. And his uh, <laughs> quote was, this door does not shut. This does not shut the door on Diaz continuing to stay in the UFC. With the pending return of Conor McGregor, that fight still remains extremely appealing to both fans, the promotion, as well as Diaz and McGregor. But what is now clear is that the long-awaited Nathan Diaz free agent sweepstakes have officially begun. Okay, if Nate comes back to the UFC, I'm gonna pull my hair out. <laughs> I mean, he went on the he went on the Aaron Hawani show. It was basically, you know, it was like a cry for help that he was taken like uh, captive by the UFC, and then to come back in his next fight and fight Connor in the UFC, um, that would be crazy. The UFC wouldn't sign that unless they unless they sign him to like a 75 fight deal where you can't get out of it. This is my thing. You know who needs Nate Diaz the most? Who? Bellator. Okay. When is the last major free agent signing for Bellator? Ben. Fedor. Uh, that's. Well, here's, here's <laughs> the thing. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been a bigger name free agent in this sport right, history? Has there ever been a bigger name that's a free agent that means more for business than Nate Diaz right now? I can't think of one. The name that comes to mind is the name you just said, Fedor. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. And, and he does a lot of business, but Nate is just a whole different cat. Nate is one of the most famous MMA fighters of all time, and he's still fighting at a high level. I mean, let's think about it. I mean, like usually when we're talking about a fighter leaving the UFC and going somewhere else, you know, things have not been going well for them inside competition. I mean, like, like when you think about, you know, Rory McDonald was probably the last big signing by Bellator. 
that didn't go. I mean, he, he, you know, obviously they got some big fights out of him. Goes to PFL. Now he's retired. Pettis leaves the UFC. Goes goes to PFL. Doesn't go well for him. Well, Corey Anderson wasn't a name value, but he. I don't know when he came. When did he come? Did he come before or after Rory? Uh, he would have been after Rory. So he would be one I would point at. Um, rest in peace to Anthony Johnson, but he's he's another one. But we're going years back. You know like that. That's why years I say. That's why I say I think Bellator needs Nathan Diaz more than any other MMA promoter needs needs him. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, this is what I, I will say that I think that the next time we see Nate Diaz fight, it will be at a pay-per-view price because he, to me, is a pay-per-view fighter. He, to me, will make the most money fighting in a fight where he gets a cut of the pay-per-view revenue. That is the avenue in which Nate Diaz makes the most money. I got it. I got it. What? Hey, Nate, how quick do you want to fight? <laughs> Who's he going to fight? You want to fight February fight? 4th? Um, who, what card is that? Bellator on CBS. Oh, look. Yeah. And who is he fighting? Michael Page? That's the first name that came to my mind. Look. Like, you got to look at the Bellator welterweight roster. Because, look, first off... You have to give him a notable name. You just can't put some, you know, some no-name fighter in there against him. No disrespect to, to anyone in Bellator. Okay. Michael Page, do that. It's a no to Jason Jackson because Jason Jackson would try to wrestle him. No, thank you. I, I got I to gotta find fighters who are going to sit there and have a striking matchup. Oh, oh God, I just thought it. You want to break the internet? What? What if Scott Coker could deal a deal with Jake Paul? <laughs> Jake Paul is a Viacom fighter. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, that might be a situation of, sorry, Bader. Sorry, Fedor. You're not the main event anymore. <laughs> look, absolutely. If if they can make that work, we can happen. happen but okay. Like, okay. I'll give yeah. you a fun fight. Fun fight. Guy doesn't have a huge name. Fighting style would fit right in there with Nate with uh, Nate Diaz. It's a Bahamasy. Absolutely. That's would Paul, would Paul Daly come out of retirement? Yes, 100%. Look, these are all good fights. I Okay, if Nate signed a deal with Jake, how many what percent what percentage of the pay do you think he would get? What percentage? How many how many what what would you Guesstimate. My guess would probably be something similar to what his Showtime boxing deal is. But like, how much percent do you think these fighters get? Like, if you had to guess, how much? What percentage rate would Nate Diaz get out of the pay-per-view buy rate? Well, I believe in the antitrust lawsuit, it's uh, Bellator fighters are getting six percent of the revenue. I want to say that's what that's been revealed. But I just, I'm just trying to do the math here. Like, all right. How many buys do you think Jake Paul versus Nate does on pay per view? Two hundred. Two hundred thousand. I think I, that's how I believe. I I thought as I read Jake Paul's last pay per view bombed. Yeah, that. But the, I could have sworn that I could have sworn that it no, did. No, no, no. Look, if you're Bellator, I understand why you would put it on pay per view. Now put that thing on CBS. Go out there and draw a massive rating, 
and show the MMA world you are the number two MMA promoter. Because right now, it's a legitimate question on who the number two mixed martial arts promotion in the world is. It's a legitimate conversation. No, I look, I agree with you. I do. But the money just to me isn't there. Like, like, like Anderson J. Paul did anywhere from 200 to 300,000 buys, apparently. So you can't compete with that money, dude. Nate's next fight is going to be versus Jake Paul on pay per view. I'm sorry. It could look if you're Bellator and you can somehow sign Nate Diaz to a deal, you can build your whole promotion around him. You can, mm-hmm. you can yeah. give him give him a Godfather offer. Yeah. But you are compete like significant money. Like, bro, if Anderson and Jake Paul did two hundred or three hundred thousand buys, I feel strongly in saying Nate Diaz and Jake Paul could do 800,000 buys. I really think it could do 800,000 buys. That's just what I think. I really feel like the reason why that would be that case is that Jake Paul is someone that is a major superstar, and a fight versus Nate Diaz would be a really, really, really big deal. It would be a really, really big deal, and people would feel like they need to watch it. I just think those two together, that's magic. That's license to print money. So you take into account a very high buy rate, and you're saying, hey, Nate, you can get 5% of the pay-per-view, plus we're signing you to a big deal. From a pure money standpoint, you cannot compete with that unless you are willing to lose out on on profits by signing it to a contract. And it might be worth it if you're Bellator. If you have the financial um, security to lose out on profits – it may be worth it in the long haul. Very similar to how companies like Netflix spent a lot of money early on to get people to come and watch their product. Yeah. They were losing. They weren't making profits, but they were able to get people engaged. So Nate Diaz could make a lot of sense for Bellator if you over, over, overspend to get him under the fold to get more people to watch your product. But I'm just saying the bidding war is going to be ginormous because Nate is a massive pay-per-view drawing superstar. You, you, if you're Bellator, you're PFL. You gotta, you can't limp in with an offer. I mean, you you got to blow the doors off the building with whatever that offer is. You can't like you you got to get you got to at least throw a number out there that gets you to the the table with Nate Diaz because I mean look it's you mentioned about it the guy's a star and I think it's Bellator needs him more than the PFL needs him because I mean how often do we talk this podcast we're like does anybody care about Bellator because I'll tell you this right now I had a tweet about Bellator drug tests no one gave a crap about it yeah maybe the Bellator rising show is going to uh Going to light the world on fire. Okay, no, Josh. Like, okay, Josh Thompson. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Mexico, dude. I didn't see like the offense here in life. Like, come on, man. You know, let the hardcore fan be up at two o'clock in the morning watching some Rise and Bellator prelim. Yeah, I miss the days when it was New Year's Eve and I could do that, watch Japanese card and 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 dig it. Uh, yeah, I think. Here's a, here's a question. Okay. Does Nate Diaz make more money in the year 2023 than any UFC fighter? 
Well, my first initial thought is, does Connor, how many times does Connor yeah. fight in 2023? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the first, the that's, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's like, do you get two Connor McGregor fights in 2023? And how winnable is that first fight? Look, I don't think you do, bro. I think, I think the maximum amount of Connor fights you're getting is one. Look, like, I, I want to, look, I want to be able to fly on the wall. When USADA picks up the phone, calls Conor McGregor. I don't know. How is Conor McGregor? Okay. How is Conor McGregor in the UFC rankings, but isn't in the USADA drug testing pool? (laughs) You see the UFC rankings. So you're telling me the UFC rankings have some questions of who is and isn't in the rankings? (laughs) Yeah. It's a look, man. It's what a wild story. Okay, all right. What's more likely? Conor McGregor fights two times in the UFC in 2023, or Frankie Yeager fights at least once in the PFL? Frankie Yeager fights once in the PFL. That's way more likely. Yeah, we talked about MMA retirements. <laughs> I mean, you shared with me a video clip of him talking in a in a, in a podcast, I believe. Yeah, it's his, it it's his like, podcast. Oh, there is no way. You walk away from that clip going, oh, yeah, that guy's retired. Yeah, he's for sure going to fight. And he's probably going to fight before Connor fights. He's probably going to be in the, in the PFL okay, featherweight right. tournament. What's more likely? He fights in the PFL or bare knuckle fighting championship? I'm going to go PFL. <laughs> just given the fact he was there, I, I'm going to go PFL. Also, that's just like, dude, I mean, Frankie would not do good at bare knuckle boxing. Like, that is not... Dude, it is it is crazy because I'm on the the bare knuckle press release list. They're doing it seems like they're doing an event every week somewhere in the world. It's because they got to be a live event live event business, bro. They've got to be. Yeah. Hey, bare knuckle boxing is here. We're gonna sell a crap load of tickets. You know they're, the OG um, way of combat sports. Yeah, they're doing a show Saturday in uh, Hollywood, Florida. Wow, how far away is that from you? Are you gonna go? No, is anybody uh, on that? that? Is anybody on that one that I know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Um, it's about I would say a four-hour drive um, from Tampa. Are you more likely to go to a bare knuckle show than uh, UFC in Orlando this week? I would be more likely to go to UFC. <laughs> Have you thought about it? Have you thought about pulling the trigger? Oh damn, um, Luis Palomino on here. Damn. Yeah, you got Luis Palomino. Uh, Dave Mundell's a, a local um, fighter from here in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, Jocelyn Jones uh, Liebarger, she's on that card. Um, you know, she she's a, a long time uh, mixed martial arts veteran. Um, put his point their website. I saw I saw the uh, the poster the other day. Um, you know, obviously Palomino. Everyone knows him from Evan Days. Uh, no, I'm going to. Uh, my guy I got a 40th birthday party on Saturday night, so I'm going to that here in Tampa. But, uh, yeah, I was looking over at Ticketmaster. By the way, there is not many tickets left for UFC Orlando. Uh, you want staying room only tickets? I asked Daniel before the show, I go, how much do you think of staying room only ticket? Daniel was like, what, $50, $75? I just started laughing. 150 bucks for a standing room only. Like, God bless the UFC, boy. Man, like, Florida has always been a tough market for them. Has always been a tough market for them. There is upper level tickets in the Amway Center that are 225, 275 face value. 
Look, you want lower level? I'm going on there to see what were which were not verified resale, so they're legit tickets. First level, five hundred dollars. I think one of the results of the pandemic and the amount of cards we have in the Apex is that UFC as a live event touring property, people want to go and watch these shows. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. good business by the UC. We talked about it. It seems overpriced, but the availability of tickets isn't there. The, the, those tickets are selling. So that just tells me there's a real hunger in all these communities, even these places that weren't originally hot ticket sellers. People want the UFC product. So that's good for the UFC. I, I guess it just speaks to the value of running in the Apex that they don't do more of these events. And they still are in the apex whenever they are doing good business on the road. Well, there is 15 fights. So I guess you're getting uh, value for your money. <laughs> if you, if you get into the building, which one of the, the more interesting things about this card is even though it's an East coast card, your main card don't start till 10 PM Eastern time. Wow. Your prelims start at seven. Um, I went, when I looked at the fight card, I think the, the two things that really stuck out to me, was the, the first thing is that Tatu Vasa is not the co-main event of this fight card. I would have thought he would have been the co-main event. Also, the thing that stuck out to me, RDA, a five and a half to one betting favor with Byron Barberina. I, look, I would imagine RDA is going to fight smart, but man, if he gets into a brawl, he could be in trouble against Brian Barberina. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Brian really thrives in this position as the underdog. And when things get nasty, I agree with you, bro. That that's a that's a viable like, underdog there. There's fighters on this card that when I think about, I want to be in front of the television set and watch them fight because they're entertaining fighters. I look right at the main event, Kevin Holland, entertaining fire. No matter where he's winning or losing, Kevin Holland's gonna be entertaining. Now the thing with that matchup is, does either one? I would imagine if someone's going to utilize grappling in this matchup, that it's going to be Kevin Holland. I doubt that you see. We've seen Stephen Thompson recently go with his wrestling, but I would imagine that Kevin Holland will try to utilize grappling. Kind of interesting. Kevin Holland's a, a, a minus one sixty betting favorite in this one. Barbarina, he's a fun fire to watch. I mean, you tell me Brian Barbarina's fighting. You know, I don't care who's across cage from him. He's going to try to make it a brawl. It's up to that other fighter to try to make this a uh, maybe a, a an easier path to victory there. Todd to Avasa. Enough said. Like, do, do I really have to say anything, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, enough said. I mean, honestly, he's worth the price of admission himself. Uh, dude, even the prelims are pretty good. Like, Clay, okay. we just got Holtzman. What's that? If someone said, okay, you're going to pay 500 bucks for a lower-level ticket, but it guarantees you a shoey with Tatu of us, is it worth it? Yes, it is worth it. Is it I would spend $5,000 on that. That is that's the most glorious thing I've ever heard. Uh, I'm telling you, dude. I'm telling you, could you imagine if the UFC just started selling watch parties? Hey, Ta, when you're not in fight camp, we're just going to fly the United States. We're going to sell these watch parties with you. People are probably going to pay God's amount of money. We're going to give you like 30% of the gate. He might make more money doing that than fighting. He, he will, and then he can make more money on the lawsuit that the UFC gave him alcoholism. <laughs> that, uh, I don't, that I don't, is, I don't, yeah. I don't think, uh, that's, that's, uh, you have to worry about that. That might already be there. Yeah, that's true. Probably at the age of 14. I mean, um, but other ones, Nico Price, another fun mm-hmm. fighter 
Clay Guida. I mean, like, look, we know what, you know, Clay Guida, you know, his key to victory for the most part is usually, usually like grappling. But I mean, like, look, part of the excitement of Clay Guida is seeing his brother smack the absolute crap out of him before the fight starts. Yeah. Which, if you've noticed, the UFC has now made it clear that they have to be back for a commercial break so they can show that. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then, like, Scott Holtzman's a great dancing partner for him. I'm excited for that, dude. Look, Amanda Hebus and Tracy Cortez, that's like a good fight just buried on the prelims. Like, that's a main yeah. card quality fight. Both Hebus and Cortez are fighters that have a lot of popularity on Instagram, are very, very doing well for themselves. Cortez, I don't know if she's lost a UFC fight. All she does yeah. is win. Amanda is coming off a loss, but she's showcased. She's a really fun striker to watch. Rebus Cortez, that one is just – I mean, that to me is almost like a, a headliner for the prelims, and it's not. It, it speaks to how deep this fight night card is. You know, I come on this show, and whenever a fight night card sucks, I tell you. I'm like, this one sucks. Bro, this one rocks. This, this, this fight card rocks. According to the Reddit on MMA, uh, which I don't know if this is true, apparently Jack Black is going to play out. Yes, this Steven is true. Thompson. Yes, this is true. That's awesome. That's freaking awesome. I'm yeah. hyped, bro. I would bet all my money that Stephen Thompson is going to beat Kevin Holland because I have this betting strategy. It's And, and again, if you subscribe to my Discord, uh, I'll, you get all the insight. I'll let you know when my uh, – I'll let okay. you know when the people – this whole betting controversy, I uh, feel like a good amount of podcasts I listen to, not in Maryland, like, join our Discord. Yeah, everyone's got Discord, which is, you know, I'm on Discord, but, you know, it's 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 only so I can buy drugs. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I don't have enough money to do that because I spent all on the PFL show. But, yeah, Discord, really shady stuff. But you can get on my Discord, and I'm going to give you tips like this. If a fighter retires, fade him. Fade the retired fighter. Marlon Moraes. He retired. Oh, he lost. By the way, he looked pretty good in rounds one and two against Shaman, but then he got tired and lost. Fade Kevin <laughs> Holland. You know, I know the retirement lasted. Um, you know, it was a it, Wakanda. I went to watch Wakanda forever, and uh, that lasted longer than the uh, the Kevin Holland retirement. <laughs> that being said, if a fighter retires, I will fade him. The only one who breaks that streak is George St. Pierre. So Stephen Thompson, uh, yeah, I think he wins. But if he loses, you know, it's a tough loss. But, yeah, I, I like Thompson to win that fight. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cortez-Heboss uh, fight was kind of a fight that I was like, well, that's, that's a sneaky good fight. I mean, you know, what's that long ago? You know, Heboss got that win over Mackenzie Dern. We're like, oh, crap. And But, you know, she's kind of been up and down. Cortez, I just look, she is undefeated in the UFC. Um, she hasn't won a fight via stoppage since 2018. So, you know, that that to me was a, a very interesting matchup. You know, Michael Johnson is always a guy I love watching fight, but I just know that Mark Casey is just going to try to take him down. I, I don't, you know, Casey is one of those guys where he came to the UFC and it was about striking. But he really has utilized his grappling game over the past couple of fights, and I would imagine uh, that's what he does there. And we decoding Angela Hill, another fight in the prelims. That's that's a great scrap there uh, on the well, prelims, dude. This one completely. I didn't see this one. Jonathan Pierce is on this card. That dude is good at featherweight going up against Darren Elkins. This is like 
the UFC saw all these fighters they hadn't booked, and they were like, oh, crap, they're really good. We need to book them on a fight card. Like, Jonathan Pierce is a damn good 145-pounder. He's probably going to have a really good night against Darren Elkins, who, man, Elkins' UFC career lasted so much longer than I thought. Like, I remember in the very beginning when he was one of the most boring fighters in the UFC, he was like the wrestling version of Sadabusi. And uh, it was uh, – I was like, oh, as soon as he loses one fight, he's out. The and hatred like, you have for Sadabusi. I mean, Jesus. Okay. Oh, bro. Here's here's my uh, Tyson Chartier six point. You ready for it? You ready for it? Okay. What do, what do you think it is? What do you think my advice is the PFL for my – for my six point, what do they need to change next year for the finals? To not put Sabusi in the, the tournament? <laughs> That's point seven. Point six is, for the love of God, we don't need five rounds in these fights. I swear to God, the anxiety I feel when I purchase a PFL show and I'm like, bro, I might watch seven five-round fights from I might watch seven 25-minute fights. <laughs> As a viewer, I should not have that fear. Yeah. I personally want the finals to be three rounds. That's it. But By the way, Darren Elkins made his UFC de- debut March 21st, 2010. How many people who listen to our podcast remember versus TV? <laughs> that was UFC on versus one. Damn. I don't know who was on that card, but I can always tell you that Congo versus Barry was like on the second or fourth one. Who who was okay. the main event of the first one? John Jones and Brandon Vera. Oh, damn. Damn. Co-main event was JDS and Gabriel Gonzaga. Chet Congo was on this card. He got a win over Paul Blutantello. Alessio Sakara was on this card. Clay Guida was on this card. Brandon Shaw was on this card. Damn. Vladimir Matashenko. I, I'll never forget this. I remember when Bellator signed Matashenko getting hit up by Bjorn. Hey, man, we just signed the janitor. <laughs> Dude, I don't even remember Matyushenko fighting in Bellator. I don't remember that at all. He had a couple fights. Holy crap. I remember remember the first time I saw him was on that Affliction card. I remember watching that one. Uh, But, yeah, that's a good one. We got the janitor. And, man, he fought late in his career. Clay Guida has been in the UFC since 2006. Who who was his first fight? When I remember Clay Guida, the first thing I think of is his fight against Roger Huerta. That's the very first thing I think of. And he's been he, doing the damn thing since then. He beat Justin James in his UFC debut. Wow. That's that was cool. UFC 64. This is back in the day when they came up with some catchy name for the pay-per-view. That was, was UFC it? 64 Unstoppable, where Anderson Silva defeated Rich Franklin. Damn, and I'm looking at this pay per view. It also has the original Sadabusi, John Fitch, on the main card. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this card. This card had eight fights. This card had eight fights. You know how good you people had in 2006 when you could watch an eight fight UFC card? Think about this. We're okay. having 15 fights. This is what I love about Topology. If you go to the bottom for UFC 64 on Topology, 
referees who work this event. John McCarthy. Okay. John still, you know, obviously not a referee, still in the game. Eve Levine. I think Eve is still involved in the game in some sort. Also working that card. These are names from the past. Mario Yamasaki oh, yeah. and Steve Mazzagatti. Little heart action. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Little heart action. You think Dana Mario. White would flip a lid if they're doing a UFC Apex card and Steve Mazzagatti's a referee in the first fight? Yeah, Dana White would, would, would literally shoot a double leg on Steve Mazzagatti as soon as he saw him. 100%. I miss Mazzagatti, but damn. Mazzagatti actually bad. works for the uh, Vegas Commission as an inspector. Good for him. Yeah, he had some bad stoppages, though. Holy crap. Um, dude, that tied to us a fight, like, that's absurdly, a really absurdly good fight. Because, like, Pavlovich is, like, probably, like, really, he, he could fight for a championship really soon. I mean, Pavlovich probably going to win that fight. That's a damn good fight. By the way, we'll get to the UFC Orlando. Uh-huh. I, uh, I just Googled Steve Mazzagatti. I was like, oh, okay. he's on Instagram? He's got OnlyFans? <clears throat> um, clearly, this is a fake account. Uh-huh. The, uh, the bio says, let's get it on. Former UFC referee, undisputed champion late stoppages, Dana Red's best friend, support illegal streams. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my gosh. I love it. By yeah. the way, it's amazing, spe- speaking of OnlyFans, how many regional <laughs> shows OnlyFans now sponsors? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think maybe they realize the type of person to watch a regional on me show is the type of person to subscribe to OnlyFans, so maybe they just found the, uh, they just found the um, intersection of consumers or whatever, but. Maybe also maybe it's one of those things where OnlyFans can't get certain like mainstream companies to let them sponsor them, oh, so they're just yeah, spending no doubt, money. No That's probably what it is. OnlyFans, uh, we'll we'll gladly take your sponsorship here at the Amir Report. We'll gladly take your sponsorship. If I knew five people would subscribe to my OnlyFans for five ninety nine, I would make one. Yeah, I would do it for five ninety nine uh, if I had the surety that I would get twenty five dollars a month. Mm. You know, my guy, Billy Q's got an OnlyFans. He's like doing like uh video blogs. I think he's getting paid to do it too. Like OnlyFans is paying him. I think, I think I saw someone along those lines. Damn. I do naked pictures, but yeah, yeah, he could do that too. I'm sure that works. I don't know. I, I don't well, know. I remember when I talked pay- to um John Dotson after he won his BKFC fight, he had mentioned to me that um, he was doing some stuff on OnlyFans, and he's like, hey, not doing explicit stuff. He's like, I'm doing training stuff, questions. But he had kind of mentioned, he's like, yeah, I got a sponsorship deal from OnlyFans. That's a good deal. Yeah, maybe OnlyFans wants to branch out and have more of that That that's That seems to be what I've kind of heard in the MMA circles, is that they're trying to get away from... I guess the being known as an adult-themed website, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Well, I got some news for OnlyFans. It's not going to work out, okay? Listen, all these effing companies, all these companies around the world is, dude, we got to pivot, all right? Like, we're Chick-fil-A, and we sold chicken sandwiches, but we're going to pivot. Like, no, bro, do what got you to the dance, 
You're not going to pivot and become another company. Very few companies do it, like OnlyFans. You, 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 you do you, boo. You know, you're not going to pivot and become the next YouTube. We already have YouTube. All these companies are obsessed with evolving. It's like you Dude, aren't going to evolve. I was in a meeting two weeks ago. Yeah. And it was, I was with a video guy and he told me TikTok gets 22% more views than YouTube does. I believe it because TikTok has, um, They've realized what they need to do to um, get everyone addicted. Oh, bro, like they, it's, it's, they, it's, addic- it's addicting. It's addicting. The you, biggest you problem. You, you just scroll through it. And once you get in that algorithm, oh, good Lord, you get about the same type of video, 50 videos in a row. Yeah. This is what I'll say to people. Here's some advice. I'm reading a book, uh, and I'm reading it, you know, four pages a day. Because that's how long my attention span is. I can only do about four pages a day, so I'll finish it in two years. But it's about how the like how to get yourself not distracted. Because I feel like that's the biggest problem in the world right now. Well, aside from the war and climate change, and, but okay, it's it's one of the top twenty five problems in the world right now. Is people are distracted all the time and they're never able to do what they really want to do and they're unhappy and depressed, etc. So I got a book that's supposed to teach me how to not be distracted all the time. And uh, one of the tips it told me is if you have the urge to do anything, no matter what your addictive behavior is, but for example, if you have an urge to scroll through your Instagram while you're driving a car and you're at a stoplight, this is what you need to tell yourself to break the habit. You got to tell yourself, I'm not going to do it right now, but in 10 minutes, if I still want to do it, then okay. And so that's the logic. And I think it works. I think it works because I feel like this, like TikTok, all that, it like gets your urges. But if you tell yourself, I wanted to do this right now, but I'm going to say 10 minutes and then I'll do it. So there's my advice on people to beat addiction. One of the biggest problems people solve in the 21st century, spend 10 minutes, make a deal to yourself. You're not going to do it for 10 minutes. If you want to order, if you want to order that Cane's fried chicken instead of a salad, Give yourself 10 minutes and see if you still have that urge. We, we don't have canes here in Tampa. Oh, you don't? Oh, it's Even I think that, I think one's getting built, I think, somewhere here locally. Yeah. By the way, dude, I think I can get us a sponsorship deal with FTX. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say that's not happening. Just going to put that out there and say it's, that's probably not happening. God dang it. So, anyways. You All right, so, I mean, like, look, since you were yeah. Nostradamus with the underdog pick last week, do we got an underdog uh-huh. pick for Saturday? I mean, look, I already am picking Steven Thompson. He's a slight underdog. Let me scan through these picks. Look, Brian Barbarena is really juicy, but I'm going to give it to you. My underdog pick is Matt Schnell against Matthias Nicolau. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, Daniel thinks a flyweight fight is under the radar, but uh, I think that fight is really good. I think Matt Schnell's incredibly talented. Obviously, Nicolau deserves to be the favorite because he displayed it. But Matt Schnell fights people really, really close, and I think he's going to give Nicolau the loss. So my underdog pick Matt Snell to beat Matthias Nicolau. I'll go with Roman DeLidze stepping up on short nose, replacing Derek Brunson against Jack Hermanson, a plus 160 betting under. I like that one, man. That's a good pick. It's a good fight as well. Uh, yeah, I think when I start to look at these other underdogs, there's not a lot that really sticks out to me, but surely we'll get it. Man, that Cortez Rebus fight is even. You know, I'm looking at best fight odds and. 
It's literally minus 110, minus 110. Since it's even, give me your pick. Who wins, Rebus or Cortez? I like Tracy Cortez in that one. Yeah. It seems like between the two, she's got the upward momentum. But I'm going to go with Amanda Hebus. I'm starting to do this thing where. Now, uh, and look, all of us are rooting for Tatu of Austin to win. Yeah. We all want that TV moment of him just standing up on the cage, just being thrown beers. We all want that TV moment. Mm-hmm. Just don't put hot sauce in, in the shoey. Like if you're a fan in Orlando, don't do that. Yeah. That person that did that should probably do 10 years of prison time. I and, mean, and, that is just not cool, bro. And for people who are not familiar with where the Amway center is, so it's next to the Church Street District, which is best way to put it. It's like it's their bar district, you know, in downtown Orlando. Good chance if you're in the Orlando, if if Tatu Vasa wins on Saturday night, my guess is he's going to be at one of those bars after the fights are over. Uh, that, I, I I feel like that's a good chance. Damn man, after you celebrate your friend's party, I think that that's where you got to go, my man. Uh, that's where you got to go. Yeah, that. Uh, Dude, we, were, we, we were in Orlando last week. There was a two-car accident on the interstate. So a drive that takes anywhere from an hour and a half to maybe an hour and 45. Three and a half hours. Well, three and a half hours? That's how long you felt like when I was watching the Sadabusi Delano Taylor fight. And, and my niece got sick in the car. Yeah, no, as a child, to be in a car for three and a half hours, honestly, would probably be one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. But especially when you expect that it's going to be an hour and a half. Did you – that's that just sucks. I mean, yeah. I That's one of those things where you just got to exit at, at the first exit. Like, just, literally, bro, it back, just like, right? you know, I use Waze, and even Waze is like, yeah, you're, you're SOL. <laughs> you're screwed no matter what. Like it was like Louie wanted me to turn off, and then I'm just like looking at the map. I'm like, I'm not saving any time going that way. I'm just wow. attempting to go around it, and like I was looking at the route. The route that street was only going 15 miles an hour. I'm like, but then once you get past the car accident, it was then you know, it, everyone it just thought wide it was open. Fast and the Furious. Yeah, yeah, we're we're the same. I, I saw like white cop hanging on the side. I'm like, you're not gonna pull these people over. No way. Like you'd have to these, be going like a hundred. Yeah. Dude, these people are violent. I mean, nothing gets me angrier than being stuck in a traffic like that. I get violent. I just start, you know, freaking out, acting like Julian Lane in the Ultimate Fighter house. I just I'm I become unhinged. I'm like Junie Browning. Let me bang, bro. We gotta do this game where I give you a fighter that was in the Ultimate Fighter, and then you tell me if they're in jail or not. No, 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 no. The better story would be, have they fought in bare knuckle? <laughs> Incarcerated like, or bare knuckle? I feel like it would be a high probability of going the bare knuckle route. Yeah. We can't even extend it to coaches. Well, like, like, what's when, I, when I talked to Kamal Worthy, who, who retired from a competition, he made clear to me, he's like, he goes, look, he goes, I'm not, he goes, I'm not doing bare knuckle. He goes, no, money does talk. He goes, but yeah, I'm not doing that for $10,000. Yeah. But for $40,000. By the way, uh, for people who did not hear my interview with Jay Perrin on Sunday's podcast, fired up. Taking on Raul Rojas Jr., the 18-year-old kid. 
And uh, they trained together briefly at Syndicate. Jay was pretty damn fired up. Pretty what fired up. What do you say, man? Basically, um, doesn't think this kid, you know, this kid's worth it. Um, he says, he goes, look, he may, he may ultimately be great, but he's 18 years old and I'm going to show him, you know, what fighting in the UFC is about. Wow. Well, I, think, look, know, I, think, I think it's a fight that makes, well, the interesting part about it, they're both represented by the same management company. And I, I think it's a fight that makes sense for both guys. Jay is 0-2 in the UFC. You know, so Raul probably looks at that and says, hey, then go out there again. If you're Jay Perrin, I don't know if you get a better fight because, look, Raul Rosas, so we'll talk about this next week because that fight's on the pay-per-view. Like, for Jay Perrin, you know you're going to be in a, they're, I think they're the feature prelim, if not the second uh, the second last fight on the prelims. Raul Rosas has got a great grappling game. Stand-up game's a work in progress. Yeah. And, like... Jay believes, fully believes, that Raul Rojas will go for a flying triangle just to try to get the fight to the ground. Wow. Well, look, I, you know, you look at Raul Rojas, it's like he's 18 years old. So, like, he could magically become a great striker in two years, and it wouldn't be surprising, right? Like, I I think for, for Jay, it's like the opportunity is – crazy because he lost two fights in the UFC and he has now found himself in the biggest fight of his career. <laughs> it's like, because, I mean, like literally like it's fine. It's like fighting Patty Pimblett. I mean, I, not to that stage, but like in terms of name value, like yeah, when you're Owen to in the UFC to get this kind of fight, you know, there's going to be a ton of publicity around this fight because everyone is going to want to see what this kid can do. A hundred percent. By the way, the sad part about that is it might be the least watched Patty Pimblet fight he's had in the UFC so far. Because, man, that pay-per-view is going to struggle. That pay-per-view is going to uh, struggle. I'm watching. You know why? You know what I'm going to watch? No, I'm going to be on the West Coast. That thing's at 7 o'clock at night. Wow. That actually sounds like heaven. I think when I die... It will be on the Western Dude, time zone. I'm telling you, if you're an MMA fan, the West Coast is the best coast to be on. Yeah. There's not I'm a doubt tired. in my mind about that. I'm tired of going to the bed at the middle of the... I can't, I can't believe these people who do post-fight radio shows after the pay-per-view's over. No, 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 no. no. The MMA media lives in the UK. Them dudes are up at like 6 o'clock in the morning still working. Like, you are dedicated to the sport. Dedicated. I'm not you, that dedicated. I'm not. You aren't getting paid enough to do that. Okay? If those people are not getting Very paid true. enough to do that. Very true. Yeah. That is crazy. That is literal torture. But like literally, but yeah. like, this is why if you're an MMA journalist, you you want to live in Vegas. Get on that Pacific Coast time. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds amazing. But hey, you know, we just gotta go to America because like we just get things catered to us, dude. Like the World Cups in Qatar. Oh, that's chill. We're gonna make sure your games are at one o'clock every day, anyway. Oh, awesome! T- Ten a.m. on Saturday for the U.S. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you know, I'm watching Mexico play right now. Um, I've got and, I've got uh, the Argentina game on. That's messed up. Mexico's way closer to you, bro. What the hell? 
Well, what the when hell? I put, put it on, Fo- our Fox affiliate came up, and that's the game that's on Fox. Oh, yeah, that one's on Fox, but Mexico's on FS1. But, yeah, well, they they go on at the same time because they're in the same group. And, yeah, right now Mexico still is winning, but they won't make it as things stand uh, because of the points. So they need to score more goals, I think, to pass up. I, I will say this. I, I would uh-huh. not say I'm a hardcore soccer fan, but I do enjoy going to our, our local soccer team games. They're, they're yeah. very fun. And the thing I, I can take my, my nieces, my nephews with me. It's a great family event. Let me, I'll say this. Uh, this whole, this is soccer campaign really pisses me off. Have you I've seen, seen this? Like, no, I haven't. It's like the big campaign. It's like, this is soccer. You know, it's like the American thing. Like it's not football. It's soccer. Like that's the big campaign this year. And I'm just like, no, no, just chill out, bro. Like we can call it soccer. But don't like, don't do that. You know, I call it soccer, but don't be uh, like, it's uh, soccer, not football. Like, dude, stay I, in I, I get the U.S. as a young team. It's tough to watch. Dude, you gotta. I, I will tell you uh, this. I'm sitting here yesterday, watched that game going, oh, God, we are playing prevent defense. Yeah, that's true. We were playing pre-Vendy. And, we and I, I, I could not be the only American watch that game going, son of a, they're going to score. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, but hey, our captain. Oh, he wasn't our captain, actually. But our best player, Pulisic, man, he gave up his testicles for Ooh, this country. Oh, good I Lord, mean, bro. Oh, God. Yeah, what a bad, what a bad dude. What a bad, bad, bad. bad you think Joe Rogan's bad, going, he should have had the tie cup on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. If Joe Rogan was the commentator for the World Cup, the next twenty-five minutes would have been a discussion about the cup. Yeah, that's what that would have been about. That's Fox. What, you're, you're you're dropping the ball. How could you not have the biggest podcaster in the world? Uh, yeah, man. I uh, I I agree with you. I agree. Joe Rogan needs to be on the broadcast. You know, uh, I, I watched the game with my coworker. And we uh, we watched the Spanish announcers, and even though I didn't know what they were saying, I still thought it was a really good broadcast. I mean, just the way they speak, it just it gets you into it, bro. So if you find yourself bored, I don't know if you have the option, but I recommend Spanish broadcast. I mean, these What's dudes on, know um, tell them, them, right? So yeah, yeah, I yeah. Because yeah, when I was at, I was at uh, I was at Universal last week with the niece and nephews and. The uh, NBC Sports Grill—they have like these two huge TVs on the outside, and they were they were playing the uh, the Telemundo broadcast. I wonder who the Spanish dancers are for the UFC. Um, wow! If you pull that Santiago, I want to say Santiago Ponzinibbio has done the color. Um, Verdum has done, I think, the Portuguese broadcast. Um, Patrick Cote was on the Canadian broadcast. It's, it's you, the, the color guy is usually a former UFC fighter. Apparently, Alberto Del Rio has done commentary in Spanish for the UFC, which is really messed up because he committed serious crimes against a woman, and he definitely shouldn't be a UFC Spanish broadcaster. Uh, well, how long ago was that, though? Clearly like had March. Way, had to be no, way before all that, right? No, this is like 2022. Holy crap! Wow. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to confirm this. Look, I googled Spanish announcers UFC. The first article I got was Alberto Del Rio joins UFC as a commentator. Uh, this is uh, 
This is March 21st, 2022. I'm trying to figure out. He kidnapped and had a sexual assault case against him. Uh, he kidnapped a woman in 2020. That was against uh, her will. I remember. I vaguely remember the story. But did he? Did he not go to trial for that? Yeah, I think he did. I don't know what happened though. But why do I, I feel mean, like he wasn't convicted or something happened? Uh, I feel like the trial got delayed. Okay. I'm going to Google it. I should have looked this up, but this is just such a curveball. Just to randomly find out that a man who was accused of kidnapping hit the trial begin. Uh, I don't know. I can't really figure out any case closed due to missing witness in December 11, 2021. That, that sounds by, by the way. Um, you, th- you think T.O. is going to get in the UFC now? What happened? Oh, you didn't see? No. Squared up against a dude at a CVS in LA, yeah. and uh, the the video footage, which was across the street, um, let's just say it looked like he pieced the dude up. Yeah, I mean, he I got in a boxing work. stance and uh, eventually started throwing some haymakers. <laughs> That's uh, the look. If you're gonna the whole with the, the whole surprising part of this video is the fact that the person recording didn't try to get closer. Yeah, like I think I think we're gonna have to see him fight. I think we're gonna see him fight now. Uh, Celebrity yeah, boxing. Jake, By the way, Jake, get, Jake Paul, we got your next fight, To. Yeah. By the way, speaking of promoters calling people scared, uh, according to Nicholas Atkin, Chotry from One FC says current heavyweight champion. I saw uh, that. Arhan Bular uh, might get stripped. He says, "I want to be respectful." But I think he's scared. So that's the theme of the show. Every how, do, fighter how, do you is say, scared. how do you say, I want to be respectful, but <laughs> our heavyweight champion is scared? Holy oh, crap. Oh, man. Yeah. I, by the way, if you didn't see, uh, Cyborg doesn't call Don Davis a promoter, she calls him the demoter. <laughs> I think we got to book that fight. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. I just. No, no, I don't want. I just want to put them in the same room. All right, Don Davis, bring that same energy you bring to Twitter. Bring that same energy when you're talking to Brett Okamoto. I have a feeling that energy would die down real quick. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But uh, but yeah, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, we're here uh, every uh, Wednesday or or so, depending on what me and uh, Daniel's schedule uh, does uh, relate to. Of course, uh, you head over to the Airport YouTube channel, check out all my fire interviews from this past Sunday's podcast. Cool that interview I mentioned about. Jay Perrin also uh, talked to Brady Heastand and Miles Johns, who were both coming off that victory uh, there at UFC uh, Vegas 65. Did talk about little James Krause with Miles Johns. I, w- I wasn't sure how I was going to bring it up, Daniel, but I brought it up. I brought it up. The, the, the most interesting part about it was Miles going, he's like, yeah, so when I mentioned in my post fight interview, he goes, I just thought everyone knew. He goes, wow. I thought they knew James was going to be in my corner. And he goes, yeah. He goes, then my phone notifications really told me. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's and, like, yeah. and he said he he said he called James up after and apologized. Like, hey man, I just thought everyone knew. You know, you know what the strongest, what the strongest strongest point for James is that could so, be his defense. The fact that that didn't cut out, that didn't get out until that announcement. 
So, you know, I, I feel like it's a story that not many people are talking about. Yeah. But dude, I think about how like things leak and stuff. The idea that the UFC came to James at dinner or whatever, told him he wasn't going to be in the corner and that didn't get leaked or was it well known? That's kind of crazy. No, but you uh, ain't wrong, bro. You ain't wrong. I was also, I was also thinking about this from the James Krause perspective. If he's completely innocent of any wrongdoing, holy crap. Did, did his character get destroyed by this new story? I oh, mean, oh yeah, oh no his, question. His reputation, man. He, I mean, I mean, look in the court of public opinion, he's guilty as can be right now. I mean, time yeah. time's going to tell whether he has done anything wrong. Time is going to tell. Exactly, but and man, it, it, but, bro, it looks bad right now. Like, it does. You, it you looks de- bad. You delete your YouTube. You delete your Discord. Like. From a, a perception aspect, and look, I'm not making any assumptions on James Krause on the whole situation. Just talking about what we know is out there. From a, per- a public perception aspect, that's not a good look. Yeah, absolutely. But as we speak today, there's no clear-cut evidence that he did anything wrong as we speak today. And that evidence will probably come out if it exists, obviously, because there's a major investigation. But as we speak, it's worth noting that there's no clear-cut evidence. All we know is his fighter was injured. All we know is the line went drastically against his fighter in a crazy moment. All we know is James Krause was heavily in the sports gambling community. But we don't know if there was any leak from him to anybody about that. If he, We don't know. And so that's really important when we talk about this story. To note, because again, his reputation is in tatters, and uh, I'm very interested to see what happens because I'm a big fan of reality, and uh, hopefully, we get the truth on this one. Well, here would be the big one to me next week. TJ Brown is on UFC 282. He has trained at Glory. He has a picture from November 21st at Glory. Wow. So, let's see if James Krause is in his corner next Saturday night. That would be crazy, right? And then just no one talks about it again. If you're James gonna... Krause, do you just say, it's not smart for me to be there? Well, if you're James Krause, you're probably not allowed there. But, yeah. I mean, I feel like James Krause isn't allowed to be in his corner. Yeah, I'm just, you know, my thing is, I'm just trying to look at it. I was trying to look at to find Glory's Instagram, but um, my kind of understanding is that James is still in the gym. Maybe I'm wrong. He's got to be doing something. Well, He's his doing- his promotion has a show coming up here in the very near future. Wow. But yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Only time will tell as the world turns with James Krause. Can we, can we get a podcast of James Krause, or Sanko, and Megan Anderson? <laughs> you want to break? You want to break the MMA internet? That's how you do it. Who 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 get the host of the show? Is Schmo? Uh, 
I think the Schmo no, is the perfect no, host. No. Henry Cejudo. <laughs> Dude, Henry Cejudo is doing some good content. Yeah, I saw. I, I didn't watch it, but I saw that um, him and uh, DJ did a video watching their. I think it's a second fight, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I bought Henry's book, so I'm gonna read it at some point. I was gonna buy Ben Askren's book, but uh, I haven't bought that one yet. That one looks really easy to read because literally it's a really big font. I'm not. I'm not a reader. I'm just not a reader. Yeah, you got to start reading, Jason. Come on, four pages a day. Let's get it. Let's get it. I'm trying to battle back against the uh, the downside of you know technology, and uh, I'm reading books very slowly. I think you got a better chance of me listening to an audio book than reading a book. Just being honest. You're so American. You are so American. You're like you have a better chance of me having the book read to me can, by can Morgan put, Freeman. Can, can I put it at one half speed too? <laughs> and I need to read it really fast. I really, I need, I need to read this book, and I need to read it in 15 seconds <laughs> because I need to go on TikTok. Yeah, and That's... and watch. <laughs> That's me. That's me, dude. I I've uh, I've gone from one and a half speed. I've gone down to one point two five. By the way, do, do you, you don't have Spotify, right? I do. Oh, who was your top artist? Did you get that? I haven't looked. You oh, dude, this is okay. Here, here's with... why I, I like Spotify for playlist. Yeah, but but this year, like today, I if if I was if I was gonna say top artist, it would probably, it would be Shine now. Well, it tells you today's you get your Spotify wrapped. If you go on to Spotify, it's going to open the application. This is like a part of social media. Everyone's talking about it. Like, do you uh, see it? All right. Do you I'm, see it? I'm, you're I'm, open, I'm open my Spotify account. By the way, my top artist, don't tell my girlfriend, is Dua Lipa. Uh, so, okay, I see the Spotify wrapped year 2022 yeah. in review. It's going to tell you who your top artist is. It's also going to tell you your top five podcasts. That's going to be like the third to last slide. Um, I don't listen yeah. to podcasts on Spotify. I listen to it on uh, Apple. Uh, yeah, I'm a Spotify podcast listener. Yeah, Shine Down is Shine Down, then uh, Ti. <laughs> wow, little, little tip, little tip. There you go, man. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I got Dua Lipa as my number one artist. Dua Lipa. I got Blink One Eighty Two, Lincoln Park. That's my top three. And somehow the song by Keisha called TikTok is my second most listened to song. <laughs> that is crazy. I'm yeah. not sure what that says about you. Dude, that's a good song. I don't know what to tell you. It's a banger. Sometimes when I go to the gym, I'm like in different moods. You know, I'm in a pop mood. I'm in a punk rock mood. I'm in a rap mood. Those pop bangers, they go hard, man. Katy Perry helps me like max out and do my ultimate set. Last Friday night, yeah, it's a good song. Okay, we'll end it on this, I think. I don't know if you have anything more, but if not, let me ask you this. If you were a UFC fighter, Jason, what would your entrance song be? What would your walkout song be? Have you ever it'd thought about some, this? It'd have to be something to beat. it have to be something to beat. It definitely would not yeah. be Eminem because we all know the uh, <laughs> doesn't have a good record. Yeah. I definitely would not go the Alistair Overeem uh, techno uh, wet music. Yeah, but those are epic. But yeah, that doesn't seem your vibe. I always, I, I always thought the Vanderlei walkout was so cool. Sandstorm. Oh, yeah. oh that's perfect. 
Uh, I can see you coming out to God's going to cut you down, man. You know, Jason, the big oak tree Floyd. (laughs) I think I want to say Tom Lawler came out to that one uh, a couple times. There's just like, like to me, like there's, there's, there's walkout songs. I just think are iconic. Anderson DMX. Yep. I really like the California love. That's one of the most iconic ones. The favorite one in the UFC era, for sure. I liked um, oh, Michael Bispink would come out to Song 2 by Blur. Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like an annoying song, but I liked it. Uh, Forrest came out to ship me up to Boston, and he also came out to the Chumbawamba song, where he's like, I get knocked down, and I get up again. That was a good song. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. That, God, that, that song came out, I think, when I was in high school. Yeah, bro. Forrest came out of that song for a little bit. That's I, honestly, you probably look at my favorite. My favorite playlist on Spotify is probably songs from the two thousands. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of depressing that that is now nostalgia. Yeah. The two thousands is nostalgia. I can't. I can't. I know. I know. I, I can't know. even. As the, as I remember the a couple years saying. ago when I heard Guns and Roses on a classic rock station, I was like, "Damn, I'm old." <laughs> Damn, I'm old. Yeah, yes, but uh, but that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Appreciate everyone tuning in for this edition of the podcast. Of course, rate, review, subscribe, like, comment, share, all that definitely does help us out a lot. A, a lot. And uh, be sure to check out uh, new episodes of the podcast come out two times a week on Sunday and Wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform, RadioInfluence.com, and the MA Report YouTube channel.